Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on the stack, we talk about a bunch of comic books that have come out this week. This is the we main sure thing do. that people are concerned yeah. about right now is new comics. That's what we're all talking about on this Wednesday morning. So let's get into it. Let's talk about new comics. Let's just chill out and have a good time and not stress about absolutely anything that was going on in the world. Um, kicking it off with crossover number one from Image Comics, story by Donny Cates, mm. art by Jeff Shaw. This is a highly anticipated comic, and I gotta say, I feel like it was worth the wait. If you didn't pick it up, mild spoilers here. But the idea of the book is it takes place in a world where a comic book crossover suddenly pops up in the real world in Colorado essentially changing the entire world and a bunch of things reverberate off of there years later as we meet various characters who have been affected by this comic book crossover. What do you guys think about this book? Well, from the cover, I really wanted to get blasted in the face of the rainbow, and I'm glad that they took the time to make sure that that happened in the comic. So so you felt, felt like you got blasted in the face. Yeah, yeah. I felt like they did a good job of getting that uh, across. Um, I like this book a lot as well. It was, it's one of those like bang, bang premise books where it's just like, this is it. And then it's like, you slowly then start to meet the characters. And I do think in this book specifically, you don't really get too much of a sense of the characters, um, by the end of the first issue, but the premise is such a sort of satisfying idea that I think it's, it sells it on that alone. Can I just, uh, be the guy who says the thing we're all thinking? Uh, that little girl in the comic, shitty artist. Uh, she's probably not going to be able to get any work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because she's got dots? No, no, no. Uh, she no, draws because uh, of her artist skills. Yeah. She draws a not-so-great oh, drawing by the end of the book. I see. I see. Uh, I got you. Oh, at the but, end. Uh, what I really appreciated about this, like you're saying, Justin, is there are so many things that are nicely set up in this book beyond the central concept of the book. It's such, as usual, smart writings from Donny Cates. It also really stretches Jeff Shaw in terms of multiple comic book styles. The promise here is that uh, Donny and Jeff have gotten characters that we know. This isn't just them creating a world whole cloth. This is also them bringing in characters from image from other comic book companies that this is legitimately a actual comic book crossover. And we haven't quite gotten there yet because most of it we're spending outside of Colorado and the uh, ground zero zone where it all goes down. But the promise is we're going to get there soon. And I would be shocked if we don't get things like Rick Grimes walking in front of a comic book store, uh, Savage Dragon popping through, at least all of these Image Comics characters and potentially some DC and Marvel characters too as well. 
as long as it stays grounded in this characters, the main characters of the book, um, I think it's going to be a wild ride to take. Yeah, and the the revelation uh, at the end of the first issue was like, oh, shit, can they do this? And I think that's a great feeling to have at the end of an issue. Like, can they pull this off? And feeling like, well, this issue is good, so yeah, they probably can. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think uh, it, it does a good job of being like, here is something that we all know what a crossover means, like... Here's a title that's going to grab you and then kind of try to put a twist on it. And it's a, it is that, will they be able to pull this off? And that's very exciting for our first issue. Let's talk, let's talk about another book that probably shouldn't work, but I think, of course, totally does. Sweet Tooth Return, number one, from DC Comics creator, writer, and artist Jeff Lemire. This is, as you can figure out for the title, this is Jeff Lemire returning to a almost perfect comic book series, Sweet Tooth, years later, um, that was about a young animal boy that pairs up with an old man, journeys through a post-apocalyptic world, try to find safe harbor. Well, they eventually kind of found it, and this picks up, as happens in the first panel of the first issue, 300 years later, except things are happening again. As they say in old Twin Peaks, it is happening again, uh, and that's definitely mm-hmm. a lot of the vibe that I think we get here. Man, I love this book and the audacity of it and the fact that I have no idea where it's going to go, particularly by the end. How'd you guys feel? I agree with you. Like the idea of setting the premise like, oh, the story you know is starting over and we're hitting very similar beats, but in a totally different world means they're going to just like totally throw that out of whack, like very quickly, I I think. And and I love Sweet Tooth. Uh, it's such a distinct book, uh, and to be able to see it back on the shelves in a limited series, though, mm. right? So uh, that's a totally different thing. Yes, uh, Pete. What do you think about this one? You're a big Sweet Tooth fan, uh, too. Yeah, this was you got a real one... Sweet Tooth. Yeah, it just don't get me started. Hey, Pete, you so got the sweetest candy. teeth I've ever seen. Hey, it's uh, Sweet Pete. Who's here? It's Sweetie Petey. Looking for um, his little sugar lick. Sweet, sweet so, Pete, you want one of your meat treats? <laughs> when you guys are done. Uh, so Black Label's Never putting done. this, which is uh, it's, it's interesting. It means they can kind of get a little crazier. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much they push on that side. But I thought, like, the art was great. It really felt like Sweet Tooth. Um, I... I thought it was very kind of weird world that he kind of woke up in this inside, but kind of outside world. Um, so I think I'm. If they did a good job of being like, "Hey, remember everything you love? Still here? New ish kind of scenario? Uh, come along for this ride." And I think, yeah, it does a great job of getting you excited for another story with this team, with this kind of like gang that we know and love. So. I think they did a great job of kind of returning to the well on this. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to another one that I'm sure you like, Pete. Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jerry Dugan, Matthew Rosenberg, and Declan Shalvey. Art by Adam Kubert, Joshua Kassara, and Declan Shalvey. As you can probably figure out from the title, I think, this is an anthology all about Wolverine that uses black, white, and blood. And that's pretty much it. So nah. actual blood. Yeah. Human blood is what is printed in this book. <laughs> so 
This is just the story that I need right now. With all the insane shit going on, I just wanted a Wolverine story, okay? I don't want to have to think about Fuck Island or how many swords, whatever, who's got, and read a bunch of fucking menus or articles, whatever the fuck in between panels. Just give me a fucking comic book about Wolverine. Thank you. Yes, this is my favorite pick from the week. I loved it. Great use of uh, red and the black and white coloring. <laughs> this, is, this is just a lot of fun and good times. Exactly. Pete, you're right. It's so simple. The first story um, is just a simple story about um, uh, a man from the 19th century who is, uh, has a, is born a mutant. He has a healing factor. He falls in love with a red-haired woman. Uh, later, he is absorbed into a Weapon X program, which is run by a secret government organization. Um, he's right, experimented right. on. Um, adamantium is added to his claws for some reason right. in the, his skeletal system. Um, he is then trained to... Um, fight using magnets um uh, fight other monsters they are built in this thing um and the people eventually feel pity for him because he does have some sort of conscience it's just a simple story yeah simple just give me a wolverine story all right classic it's like dick and jane basically yes exactly Uh, you're talking about of course the jim carrey movie as usual with uh this sort of thing i think um jerry dugan matthew rosenberg declan chalvey all good storytellers so the digs, uh, so they're all solid stories. For my money, the Declan Shalvey story, the, which is the third story, is easily the best one. And I think part of that is that Declan Shalvey is both the writer and the artist understands the challenge here and creates a story that plays to the strengths of the panels. Um, It's simpler. It's more straightforward. It plays to those splashes, those small splashes, both of blood, but also the splashes of the paddles. Um, And I like that one quite a bit, personally. Interesting. I I, I really like the Weapon X story from Jerry Dugan. I I love the Rosenberg story the most. The, you know, Wolverine and a baby, uh, you know, I don't need to see that. But, you know, Zalbs, you do you. But what's nice is three stories. If you pick this book up, probably like one of them. I thought this was great. You know, one of my favorite movies was one of my favorite movies is Three Claws and a Little and a Baby. Yeah, uh, so I get. I it. thought you were going to say a little lady, but you didn't. No, no I that's preferred a baby. That's a sequel. A sequel. Yeah. Uh, Origins- one claws played by Steve. One one claws played by Steve Gutenberg. One claws played by Ted Danson. Uh, mm-hmm. Come on, just really uh, the Gutenberg. What, yeah. what do you prefer? Do you prefer Three Claws and Tom a Baby Selling. or Claws Academy? Mm, that's Ooh. tough. Or the Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're getting to that season. <laughs> Origins number one from Boom Studios, created by Arash Amel, Lee Krieger, and Joseph Oxford. Script by Clay McLeod Chapman and art by Jacob Rebelka. Uh, I got to tell you, I probably should have done some research here because I was very confused about the credits. Like, is this a video game or was this a previous property? Why are there so many creators and a different scriptwriter? What's going on? Um, but as it is, the, the hero here, I think, is Jacob Rebelka's art, which is weird, set in a post-apocalyptic world. There's a bunch of people wandering through what seems very close to the Museum of Natural History, but clearly isn't. Uh, They pick up some strawberries, but the strawberries are very bad for you. Um, I needed more information personally in this first issue, but I still like the art quite a bit. The strawberries are just filled filled with worms. It's it's not like that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Just so normal normal, strawberries. A normal strawberry. Uh, Yes. Uh, I agree with you. The art in this book is amazing. I am very intrigued by this story. It 
I don't know exactly what's happening. It feels like there's a, some sort of clone baby, but um, they talk about the the baby who is then a later, uh, uh, some more, somewhat more of an adult, is named David. But they make it seem like he's famous somehow. Do, do you think is there a David that you think it is like David Beckham, Copperfield? Oh yes. You know, he, when I was when I was five, David Copperfield made me disappear. Yes. Yeah, you've told yeah, us that story. Have I told you that story? <laughs> yeah. Well, just let so me know. It's available. I, I, if I, not not to interrupt, but uh, when I was five, David Beckham made me disappear. <laughs> wow. He bent he bent you out of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Pete, what did you think about this one? I think I think the arts unbelievable i love the kind of like seeing the kind of like subway entrance in the middle of the grass was kind of really cool it's lush Uh, yeah it's it's very creative it's a cool story i'm excited to see where this goes but as of now it's like there's this baby named david and so it's like this is you know oh david schwimmer Oh, it's a friend's reference because they David Schwimmer did have that scene where he got it on in the museum. Yes, he worked so, in a museum and it's in New yeah. York. Yeah, so that's it right mm. there. And if Man. you're going to need to clone a human to start restart the population, <laughs> you're going to want a Schwimmer. You're going to want a Schwimmer. Yeah, you're going to want a Schwimmer. You got to yell, get me the pole bearer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, iconic up, film. <laughs> Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons, number one from Dark Horse Comics and IDW, yeah. written by Jody Hauser and Jim Zub. Line art by Diego Galindo. This is something that Jim Zub plugged on our live show yeah, many, did. many weeks ago at this point. Um, I still kind of didn't know what to expect going in this, but I was surprised how much I enjoyed this. There are less of the Stranger Things and more... As a homage, a loving tribute to the history of Dungeons and Dragons is what kind of comes that's through here. The, it's kind of nice. Yeah, that's what the Zubhub was talking about. Like, he was really talking about how this really is a love letter to D&D and kind of really gets into it. And uh, I thought that was a cool kind of way to come at it. Uh, you can tell from this, the the passion kind of comes through in the pages. I. At first, when he was telling us on the show, I was like, oh, okay. But this really works in this comic. I thought this was a lot of fun. And I love the kind of little pages at the end where you can kind of start your own. Uh, I thought this was great. I thought this was a lot of fun. It felt like regular things. It felt like just things. Like they were just going about their business as kids. And uh, uh, and that's not a criticism per se. It's just I think this is a a hard prequel to the TV show Stranger Things, uh, bringing in how, like how they got into D and D, which is very cool. Um, and I like this book a lot better than the other Stranger Things book that we read, I think last week, um, because it feels a little more true to the characters and it feels like in line with the story, uh, of the TV show. I think you, it's going to get strange. All right. You know, they're just kind of starting things out first. Yeah. They've started with Dungeons and Dragons. They're going to move to advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and that's when things are going to get Fuck. real, real fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Real that's crazy. crazy. Let's move on to backtrack number eight from Omni Press, written by Brian Joins and art by Jake Elphick. Uh, this is, as we've plugged many, many times, about a 
cannonball run style race, but through time here, mysteries are slowly starting to unfold about the racers who are all tied to the race in different ways. Uh, they also end back in pirate times, which is a fun era to put them in. I, as usual, had quite a blast reading this issue. How'd you guys feel about this one? It's fun. We're getting into a lot of like specific character, uh, small moves. Uh, and I, I feel like we're building up towards sort of some big revelations here pretty soon. And uh, yeah, I, I like them being in uh, pirate times. It's a fun, iconic place for them to be. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like this crazy race throughout time. So you're like, oh, Fast and Furious meets Back to the Future. But like what's great is we're getting as we're in this insane race, we're getting little kind of windows into people's backstory, why they're here, why they are the way that they are. And it's nicely layered, like some episode, uh, some comics issues are more focused on the race. This one's a little bit more focused on the kind of story, which is good. Uh, uh, this comic continues to be really great. The art is fantastic, and it really adjusts to what time period it's in in such a great way. I also like that we've finally gotten to a point with this book where it feels like, well, you can't eliminate any of these characters, but of course they're going to, and that's going to make yeah. it hurt that much more. We're not oh, quite man. there yet, but in the next couple of issues, it feels like that's coming, and that's a good emotional place for the book to be in. Uh, still a blast to read. If you haven't read it, definitely pick it up. Next up, U.S. Agent number one from Marvel Comics, written by Priest. Art by George Gianti. I was very excited personally to see George Gianti on his book. Uh, I've really liked his art a lot since he was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and other things. He's uh, good stuff. Of course, Priest, always reliable. And this is a bonkers book about the asshole Captain America going through the heartland, fighting who even knows what. Uh, but, uh, I really, really enjoyed this quite a bit just for how messed up it was. How'd you guys feel about it? Yeah. If you're looking for sort of, uh, a Hawkeye style comic, like I feel like this has some strong, like, uh, Hawkeye, Hawkeye vibes back when he was in the, uh, living in Brooklyn with the Russian tracksuit dudes, like that, that whole thing feels very much in line with what this book is, except he's a little bit more of a shithead, sort of uh, in the um, Ant-Man, the Scott Lang Ant-Man style, um, and constantly being mistaken for uh, Captain America, which that's going to burn you. Yeah, I was really happy when that one pizza delivery guy kicked the shit out of him. That was great. And it is a weird story, like the story, like USA uh, agent, um, there's a pizza delivery man who he uh, becomes his sort of sidekick. They're keeping, he's keeping all these other pizza delivery people in the basement. Like it's, it's a little, I don't quite know what the whole thing, uh, the whole deal is here, but it's fun and it's super unique. I think, I feel like. Yeah. That feels like typical priest stuff to me, where it's just these details thrown in where you're like, what? I can't quite get a handle on this, but it's still fascinating at the same time. Let's yeah. move uh, into a very dark turn for a book that we've been enjoying quite a bit. That Texas blood number five from image comics by Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. Uh, again, when we had Chris Condon on the show a couple of weeks back, he promised that things were going to get real bad real soon. And, oh, boy, they got real bad oh uh, as our main character is losing his mind down in Texas, doing some very dark stuff um, in the name of his brother being killed. This is definitely the most brutal issue of this yet, I would say. 
yeah, I like this book a lot. I feel like the art in this this issue specifically is so good. Um, some hard boiled crime. I, I'm sure this book gets compared to uh, Criminal a ton. Um, and if if you're a fan of that, like this is right in line. I do think it's strange that they use the same um, interior monologue uh, lettering as uh, Criminal um, and Jacob Phillips is Sean Phillips' son. Um, I would move away from that because I think this book really stands alone on its own right. It doesn't need to feel like it's drafting off of criminal success. How do you feel about yeah, it, Pete? I, I think the art's unbelievable. This is some real great storytelling. Very intense. This book moves at a very interesting pace. It's sometimes very fast. Sometimes it seems like slow. But this is... Uh, Really kind of great storytelling, great character stuff. I'm very much enjoying myself. Let's move on then and talk about Mighty Morphin, number one from Boom Studios, written by Ryan Parrott, illustrated by Marco Renna. Like that Texas blood, this is a brutal issue for the Power Rangers. Just a lot of blood. Oh, Power Rangers. That makes sense now. (laughs) It's just they must have left the other two words off the title. Yeah, well, that's how you know they're being serious. Uh, Unlike the other actually very dark Power Rangers books that we've been reviewing recently, this is a return to form. This is like classic Power Rangers. The Green Ranger, is he evil? Is he not? We don't even know who he is. Doesn't matter. Uh, You got all the villains here. You got all the Power Rangers. Um, But in a slightly more modern style, how'd you feel feel about this one, particularly given that we've been uh, quite enjoying the other Power Rangers books that have been coming out for Boom? This book felt like when you're at a party, when you, we used to go to parties, and you end up talking to someone you don't really know, and they tell you a very long story, and you're like, I don't know you. Why are you telling me this crazy involved story about your life? Like, what, where where are we going with this? Um, it felt like, like, oh, yeah, I guess I see how that relates. Um, this, Oh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah, oh, I see, like, we're dealing with Zed and all this stuff. Um, but I will say I enjoyed reading Despite the fact that it definitely feels like not my wheelhouse, Pete, how did you feel? Got to see your bulk and skull. Yeah, I mean, this is great. This is just fun. Uh, this to me it was like a animated version of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, kind of like the new updated Voltron. I very much had a lot of fun. We got some great fighting. Uh, some badass panda stuff. It was fun to see them talk about making the villains and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I you know, I thought the reveal at the end was great. I think this was just fun Mighty Morphin comic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it checks out. That's the title and he said stuff at the end. Uh, I so did like the reveal is. at the end. I think what I've been responding to in the other Mighty Morphin books that have been set in this post-apocalyptic world where the Power Rangers mostly lost to the villains that are trying to just kind of hold on to what they have is this idea of playing with the continuity, which the shows could never do because they're mostly working off of what the Japanese versions, right? Of Power Rangers and then remixing them. Um, So they're all very kiddie and very silly and badly dubbed on purpose and all of these things that just like, I never liked 
this splits the difference between those two things. So to your point, Justin, I also actually had a fun time reading this, even if it is not quite my thing. Um, but definitely more of my thing is those other books. I would personally lead towards those. I agree. And obviously I've always been a Mystic Knights of Tirana guy, but um, this uh, it's especially funny the way that like, like I, don't understand why I was surprised by how all their uh, the animals, the animal machines they ride are like saber tooth tiger and all that. I was like, they all look exactly the same, but they're all different. There's the mythology of the Power Rangers is so weird and convoluted. Yeah, I just can't get a handle well, on it. Yeah, if you were, if that stuff made sense to you, you wouldn't be pulled out of the story like that. I think. I'll tell you not to pull back the curtain too much, but at my day job, we got uh, I got offered this exclusive clip for, I want to say, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Dino Thunder or something like that. Oh, they, wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, and they sent it to me, and it was the casts from, like, four different Power Ranger shows all getting together. So clearly, like... We, we've done enough stuff that I could watch it. I was like, okay, this is like Avengers Endgame for Power Rangers. But it was such yes. a deep dive to understand what they were talking about at any point in that clip. Normally a clip, <laughs> I'm like, all right, I could write this up in half an hour tops. That's it. But this one, I was like, <laughs> You're like opening up wikis and looking at casts and debut dates and everything. <laughs> I was like, what is happening here? This is weird. But there you go. Deep dives. Uh, let's move on to another one, uh, which is one of my favorite books that is coming out right now. Spy Island number three from Dark Horse Comics, written mm. by Chelsea Kane, art by Leah Mertenek. Uh So this is set on an island in the Primitive Triangle that is filled with spies of different types. In this issue, our main spy is farting to figure out that her father, who is also on the island hiding out as a mime, uh, may have a bigger plan at work, we also find out more about what happened to the first two issues in terms of what she laid down. This book is fantastic. In my mind, it is like a perfect mix between mind management and superior foes of Spider-Man with a flavor of its Ooh, own. And I nice. am loving every single issue of it. How are you guys feeling? Pete? Well, I was waiting for you to go. Uh, yeah, this is really kind of crazy, but it's also a lot of fun. I also like the kind of art, the way the art changes throughout the book. Um, the whole like series where she's dating different dudes and the kind of like the way the father sees the dudes. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is a very creative, cool book and the art matches it perfectly in such a cool way. Um, yeah, I'm not always understanding what's happening, but it's very interesting and very creative. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is a great book. Uh, yeah, I agree. Like I love, it's really funny. It, uh, it reminds me a bit of Mark Russell's Flintstones or I guess all of Mark mm -hmm. Russell's stuff. Um, if you're a fan of that, like this book is like legitimately funny. It has sort of an irreverent tone, the way they do full page sort of, um, joke uh jokes uh visual jokes is really awesome and uh but it still has like some i'm very interested in the story as well like these characters are fun like i don't quite know what's happening um with the mystery itself but 
it's just a smart world and universe that this book creates in every issue. Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate what you said, Pete, about Leah Mitternick's art, which collages in so many different styles throughout the book. Yeah. It's so impressive. Very um, impressive. They're straight flexing. It's unbelievable. It's great. Yes. Straight flexing is actually a really good way to put it. It's definitely a book to be like, here's what we could do. Here's what we can show off. It's awesome. Definitely pick it up. Yeah. Next up, Web of Venom, Empire's End, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Clay McCowd, Chapman, art by Gu uh, Villanova. Uh, this is, as you can probably tell from the title, following up on the end of Empire as a bunch of the Skrull and Kree leave Earth and run directly into the King in Black um, the next event and have literally like a crossover while one of them is heading one way, the other is heading the other. And it ends up yeah. like aliens <laughs> on a scroll ship. Um, I, I like this. I was a little hesitant just because it wasn't Donny Cates writing it. And he's been such a mastermind behind this event. Uh, but I thought this was a very good, scary book. That's such a funny way to put it, Alex, because it really does feel like it's we're backstage at Marvel and one event is like, hey, we finished our performance. Thank you so much. And another event is like, oh, we're up next. We're going to sorry. Oh, did we sorry? We bumped into you and made a big mess with all of our symbiote juice. So sorry, Um, (laughs) because it is like when I saw this, I was like, Empire, no way. But uh, this is actually a great story and it does have that sort of. Um, aliens uh, like it's game over man for everybody um, in this issue and the king in black is terrifying like I'm excited to see this event the more I see of sort of the insanity it reminds me of the um, insane Adam Warlock from back in infinity uh, gauntlet days um, as the villain here and uh, it's a good read even though it feels unessential from the title it's it's worth picking up yeah, I mean, they got some space vampire bats in here. This is just some crazy, fun uh, stuff that's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just kind of, you know, like, all right, space aliens, cool. You know, there's not too much more going on, but it's definitely uh, a cool comic and worth checking out. Next up, Batman 102 from DC Comics, written by James Tyler IV and art by Carlo Pagulian. Uh, this is the intro of Ghostmaker, who, of course, uh, is the guy who builds ghosts. We all know that in the DC universe. Yes. Um, no, no, because no. when he makes ghosts by killing you and then you're a ghost. That's uh, okay. that's... Oh, no, I think he makes the ghosts in the original Pac-Man game. He makes no, Inky, no. Blinky, no, Dothers. No. And also, just in case you're wondering, he doesn't, like, crochet little ghosts either and makes them. No. Okay? He Hmm. kills people, turning them into ghosts. I guess we have different takes. Uh, So this introduces that character and Ghostmaker. Well, uh, he got introduced before, but this is his official introduction. Uh, He is going directly for Clown Hunter. So we got two new additions to the Batman mythos going head to head with Batman, of course, stuck in the middle. As it turns out, though, Ghostmaker has a deep tie to Batman's origin. Pete, you got to like this, right? There was a lot of fighting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, this was a great issue. I love the action. Also, fun reveal. Like, well, all right, let me back up the truck a little bit. Love the Batman like punch entrance. Nice when you can like make your entrance and punch someone in the face. I mean, that's like 
Yes, best I've, of the se- best. I've seen you walk into a lot of weddings. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, but I think this was a ton of action, which is great. But also the way they kind of knew each other, the way it was like Ghostmaker, Batman, and like right into it. It was really cool. Also, very interesting how Clown Hunter is still hanging on, like still a thing. I thought Clown Hunter would have kind of like faded away after Batman gave him his talking to, but not the case. And now we're also dealing with Grinners, which is interesting. Um, Talking to Oracle on the old uh, earpiece there. Okay, that's cool. But um, I I think that like... I. The, they also had some funny moments, like when Knife Guy was like, I hate teenagers. That was hilarious. Because um, you hate teenagers. No, no. I just think that it was like a funny line where it's like, oh, teenagers. Um, but, yeah, I think it, there's some interesting, interesting stuff happening in this. And instead of like kind of like a cool down from like a, a such a big event that we just had, the fact that they kind of ramped it right back up into that is very kind of interesting. Um and also, cool name, Ghost Stories Part 1. Uh, I feel like James Tynan got his big, sort of, his first big story out of the way. And now he can really settle in and create his Bat universe. And um, I think Clown Hunter, Ghostmaker are a big part of that. Really leaving his mark on uh, Batman as a character and this the whole world there. And I like that. I'm excited that we're sort of in that point in his uh, arc here. And it's also yeah. interesting to have a villain that's like, yo, Batman, do your fucking job. Gotham is a shit show. It's constantly on fire. Like, what's your deal? That's an interesting way to come at it. A lot of the discussion in this book is about what Gotham is now that the Joker War is done and what it's going to become next. I'm excited for what's going to become next, and I trust James Tynan enough to bring it there. But to your point, Justin, he thought he was only going to be on until issue 100, uh, and he's continuing from there. So in my mind, it definitely feels like, oh, okay, I'm going to keep going. All right, I'm going to set up the next uh, 15, 20, 30 issues, however long I'm on for, versus what I was doing before, which was my definitive Batman story. Um, so I'm curious to see what this sets up and where it goes, because, again, I trust James Tynan's storytelling. He has certainly proved himself more than capable. Let's move on to Dryad number 6 from Oni Press, written by Curtis Wiebe and illustrated by Justin Barcello. Uh, this issue, our main family is still hanging out in cyberpunk tech city, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out if they should help the kids who are currently in a coma. Uh, turns out uh, they don't need help. They do wake up by the end. We find out another huge revelation about our family. Um, I I got to tell you, I was not totally into the cyberpunk stuff in this issue, but I definitely turned around by the end. Love the twist there. I thought that was so great for the series going forward. Uh, what was your guys' take on it? I agree. I love the way the story is unfolding. I think the way um, they're doing they're able to capitalize on these, this two prong like fantasy side of the story and the technological side of the story um, in a way that it's a tough trick to, to pull off. And I think it is working on both fronts. I like the sort of 
Blade Runner vibe to the front end of the book. And then when we shift generations to the kids for the back end, like uh, I like all these characters. Uh, I'm curious to hear. It, it feels like this is sort of like the a mission went bad uh, a long time ago and we're d- dealing with the fallout is what this act- series is actually about. So I want to know what that is. Uh, I feel like that was a reveal in this issue that we didn't really know going from before. Um, this book continues to be very, very creative. Each issue kind of comes at things a little differently. It's fun to see what you're going to get with every issue. Uh, yeah, and we keep getting deeper, deeper into the story. They're doing a good job of kind of piecemealing information while still giving us a lot of action. Fun reveal at the end. I think this is very interesting, and also it's cool the way they kind of swap around styles. So I continue to be impressed by this book. Cool. Next up, The Goddamn, The Virgin Brides, number four from Image Comics, written by Jason Aaron and art by R.M. Guerra. Pete, I know what you're going to say. It's creepy. So, Justin, what did you think about this book? (laughs) This is a book you want to leave out for your grandparents. They're going to love the the fighting they're gonna love the very short tops that expose um all of the, your breasts uh <laughs> it's a good stuff for the older generation uh but i i like this book a lot the rm gara art is unbelievable it's so detailed it feels like it's in the style of prince valiant but with a exciting uh, much more irreverent story um and the twists and turns like i it's also written from the point of view where, like, I don't know, we have our protagonists who are on the run. They're um, virgin brides who are supposed to mate with this, like, monster, basically, that is the god here. And they escape. We're on the run. And then at the things aren't going well, basically. And I feel like this book could be very harsh with its characters, so I really don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, I agree. I, that's... One of the biggest things about the book is it's very dark and it's a super gritty, I hesitate to say realistic, but that probably gives the best sense of it, take on the Bible and uh, biblical mythology. Um, but, you know, if you look at the Bible, lots of people dying all the time or almost dying or horrible things happening to them almost constantly. So it's actually very Not a consistent. fun read. Not a fun read. Yeah. Uh, not, not a beach. I I don't usually take the Bible to the beach, to be honest, like to read it, to just chill Uh out. Um, but like you said, RM Gare's art is fantastic. This is very dark. I don't know what's going to happen in the next issue at all, but there's a crazy cliffhanger that happens. That was awesome. Uh, good stuff. Let's move on. Talk about Thor number nine. I just wanted to say, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. The ending was really kind of amazing. Ooh. Uh, but you do uh, like it. You love it. No, it's creeptastic in all the wrong ways. Yeah. Well, you're. But do you like the RP? The because this is RM Garrett, same artist on Scalped. Yeah. You like amazing artist. Would you say it's worth it for the art alone? Nope. <laughs> wow. wow. You're very wrong. Can't get uh, past it. Yeah. Thor number nine from Marvel Comics, written by Donnie Cates, art by Nick Klein. So this is kicking off a new crazy story arc. Donnie Cates doing his Donnie Cates Marvel thing as he goes back to an old part of Marvel continuity, lifts it up again, and makes it as fucked up as possible. Uh, in this case, uh, we're exploring what happens to Donald Blake 
when Thor comes out, something that we haven't touched on in years, where does he go? And it ends up being pretty messed up, but I love where this storyline is going. And Nick Clyde's art of this book is phenomenal. So good. Um, what'd you guys think? Totally agree. Like I love, this is my favorite book of the week. The way that, um, finding this little bit of Thor mythology that has been just legitimately ignored. Like, uh, Dr. Blake was the character that was Thor's human form and he would tap his walking stick and become Thor. And Thor just hasn't transformed out of him. And it's, it's like, Bruce Banner's been the Hulk for so long that, like, what's Bruce Banner up to? And we get to explore that side of that here. And it is it is fucked up, and it's super smart the way um, we get there. And to have uh, Donald Blake become this new aspect of uh, the Thor mythology, I think, is super exciting. I, uh, I don't know, man. Like, this is, a, like, to me, it's like, uh, you know, it's okay if we're out of ideas, guys. We can just, you know... Maybe. Whoa. Wow. What? what? It's like, hey, remember how I turned into this guy? Well, when I turn into him, he just kind of walks the earth. What if he got angry about that? And it's like, wait, what? What is happening? What That's are we what's doing happening. Right now? You just described what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, that doesn't make it a good idea. It's I, fun, I though. It's like when Wolverine, ha- when he died, he had to fight a sword dude. Like, that was cool. Okay. What, was it? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it was. I liked the fighting the sword dude. I uh, didn't like the fact that he came back from a, just a little speck of blood, Lobo style. Um, I do love, uh, I don't know, I just, I love the visual of what happens when Donald Blake finally comes out of his reverie, the way that Nick Clyde draws him. I don't know if Nick Clyde specifically de- uh, designed him. What? The art's unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, worth it for the art alone, I would say. Uh, wow. But wow. the way that Nick Clyde cool designs the phrase. new <laughs> Dr. Donald Blake <laughs> is great. It's a great new villain for the Marvel Universe. Spoiler, obviously. Um, but I think in the same way that Daddy introduced Cosmic Ghost Rider and it immediately became like, oh, it's this thing. Like, that exists. Mm-hmm. That's fun. That is a fun thing to look at. Yes. It's the same thing with whatever Dr. Donald Blake has become. It's a fun, clear visual, and I, I love it. And I'm excited to see what this means. It ties into the overall mythology that he's building for Thor with what's happening with Mjolnir. It just feels very smart across the board. 100%. Uh, next up, Wicked Things number six for Boombox, created and written by John Allison and art by Mark Max Saren. Uh, we've been very complimentary of this book, which follows a teen detective uh, who is framed probably for murder uh, as she ends up teaming up with the police department in, I believe, London. Not 100% sure, but I'm going to say yes. Uh, and she is pretty much smarter than all <laughs> of them. Um, this is a weird ending for this book, I gotta say. It feels like there were supposed to be more issues, and then it got caught short, personally, which is disappointing, even though I enjoyed this issue as well. Well, that may be true. It does feel, I mean, it it it, it could also just be a, a cliffhanger that they're really pushing. I think the last page makes it, feels like, it makes it feel like there was truly like a page ripped out of the back of the book, and I was like, wait, what? I wanted to know, to know how this conversation ends. Um, but uh, in general, I it's fun. This main character is such a fun uh, – I love her energy. I like the world this is in, which is like um, this detective uh, from in 14 to 16 years old, the best detective in the world. 
And there's a moment where she's being held hostage and you expect her to like elbow the guy and get away. But it doesn't happen because she's just a regular teen detective. And I I think that's fun that they're really keeping within the storyline. Just a regular teen detective, you know. Yeah. Like uh, like, like a normal teen teen detective, you know, because like surely te- you were a teen. Det- you've solved some crimes in your small town, right, Pete? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely did. Um, yeah, I agree. This is Wait, just sorry, a ton Pete, of fun. What did they call you? They called you Thesaurus LePage. No, no, they yeah. didn't. He was really good with saying other words that were like words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did solve a lot that. of mysteries, but he was like, "Oh, I think you mean sweaty." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it did feel a little rushed. Uh, every issue of this up until, uh, this issue didn't feel that way, but man, this is still a great story. Really creative, fun main character. I could definitely see a lot more with her. I hope they keep going in some iteration or whatever, but yeah, this has been a a lot of fun and I, I hope this doesn't end. I agree. Definitely worth picking up in trade whenever it's collected, and hopefully we'll get a second series of it. Moving on to Deceased, Dead Planet number 5 from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor and art by Trevor Harrison. Uh, In this issue, John Constantine is uh, launching a desperate mission to fight back against the anti-life plague, Uh, and it's uh, predictably dark. But with moments of real humanity and humor, everything that we've come to expect from the series, I think, so far. This book has really migrated to the top of my stack. Like, I love reading yeah. this book. Um, it, it's a good book. The characters are fun. The, the Damian Wayne Batman is great. Like, uh, Constantine, still a dick. Just a straight-up dick. There's oh, some fun man. jokes here. Constantine is great in this book. This book, yeah, it continues to impress um, and I think this was a really great Constantine uh, hilariously messing with Dr. Fate and Swamp Thing even getting in on the joke. Uh, Batman doing father jokes. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. But uh, Batman getting a punch in at the end like that. That was good. But yeah, this continues to be a very creative, very funny, well done comic that does like a lot of cool things. Like the Shazam moment in this is so badass. That was so cool. Um, yeah, I thought this was a great, great issue. And there's a there's a lot of dread here still, where like any character could die and everything yeah. could go wrong at any moment. And I, I believe on the last page at the bottom, they say things get worse. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Next up, ink blot number three from image comics written by Emma Kubert art by rusty glad. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, I keep throwing this book in the stack because I can't yeah, quite do. figure it out. Like what's going on here. There's a little bit more of a hint in terms of this is a cat that could jump through universes. I guess that's the idea of the book that they kind of established in the beginning here. Uh, Pete, you've been enjoying this book, right? What do you think about this issue? Yeah, this I don't know what it is. It's just the the two eyes are so adorable. It gets me. Um, you're a you're a cat guy. I'm a cat guy now, so like I get it. Like cats are very mysterious. They have a lot of things going on that they don't share with us. And uh, yeah, I think that this makes sense of how. The Loch Ness Monster came into fruition. I think this is just a crazy kind of creative book. And the art is phenomenal. Some adorable storytelling. This is just fun. 
Uh, I just wanted to mention, Justin, before you get into your comments, if you are a cat who would like to share something with us, please email us at comicbookclublive at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Justin, over to yes. you. Uh, I always pick up after the cat call out. Um, <laughs> after the cat plug? Cat plug? Uh, we're looking to meet some single cats. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> uh, I do. This, there's something about this book. Like, it, the art is really cool. And it, I think changing gears a little bit with this issue, it felt for the first two issues, it was like, well, what's the big story here? But I think to reading this issue, it's like, oh, maybe it's just like fun little romps with this cat. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think like, so too. I felt a lot better about this one than I did for the first two because I was trying to figure it out. But I had the same sense as you did, Justin. I reserve the right to be wrong with issue number four, but the art is so good and it is a fun little pirate adventure with a cat uh, and Loch Ness Monster. Enjoyable stuff. Yeah. For about- I just reserve the right. To be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Last thing here. We're going to end with our X of Swords, Ten of Swords block, talking about two issues that came out from Marvel. We got X-Men number 14, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Mahmoud Asrar and Laniel Yu. Marauders number 14, written by Jerry Dugan, and art by Stefano Caselli. Two very different issues, so I do think, actually, if anything, we kind of need to talk about them differently. Uh, But so far... The uh, champions of Araco and the champions of Krakoa have been gathered in Otherworld for a dinner. In the first issue in X-Men, we find out about Apocalypse and his wife, what went on there. We find out about her secret history. Pete's got to love that one because there was a lot of text and confusing things that happened. And then in Marauders, everybody gets together for dinner and things go predictably badly. What did you think about these chapters of X of Swords? And Pete, I know you're upset they're not fighting with swords yet. That aside, how'd you feel about these books? All right. Um, so first off, you know what? What you know what's better than having a huge battle that we've been building to? Taking a time out to have a dinner first, and you know, Agreed. let's just talk Agreed. at the dinner when you're table hungry. and just you know, like really, just kind of talk things out and have a walk, you know. Uh, hey, Apocalypse, why don't we hold hands and talk about the past and not fight and get into a giant uh, action sequence like maybe some people would enjoy? Let's well, let me give you a quick breakdown of the way the story, like they teleport to this strange dimension. Right. Dinner. Dinner. Sleep. Uh, midnight snack. Brunch. <laughs> coffee. Uh, sword sh- sharpening and shining. You're you're forgetting something in the What's middle there, Justin. There's several love. times when they get handed cards. Yeah. That's right. Oh, Let's not forget, forget the about card. the. So I feel like there's some like magic happening, some light table magic. Um, I think someone's going to eventually have a yo-yo and other like juggling tricks. It's like a fun. Oh, it's just a fun day out. Um. Anyway, where was I? Okay, then it's going to be lunch. And then they're going to have, like, a baseball and Don't game. forget to show the menu. They're going to show the menu a couple of times. You know what I mean? So the menu was fun. Having. It was a fun the menu. The menu was very fun. Well, let me say, so uh, Pete's criticisms aside, and let's put them far, far aside. Um, <laughs> I love this. Um, I think the, the X-Men issue by Jonathan Hickman is a full takedown of Apocalypse. It's like a subtle, subtle takedown of Apocalypse. Like, Apocalypse... Move went to Earth and he like had these like piddling battles with the X Men 
claiming that he was like survival of the fittest. We need to all be better. The mutants must rise. Meanwhile, the world he left behind had everyone literally fighting for their lives constantly. They became the fittest and he has to come back uh, hat in hand, sword in hand with uh, this woman that he left behind that he maybe still loves and be like, oh, you've been literally becoming the best fighters in the universe while I have been shitting the bed on Earth. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, let's go have a little day off. Um, and then the the Marauders issue, I feel like, is a little bit more focused on like sort of the, the Wolverine side of it. But I do think um, this have series time for a nice dance. Did you like some the dance? dancing? And I like Wolverine likes to get fucked up, and I think he he feels like he really gets to drink in this issue, which he never really. He's always like, I drink, yeah. but then my healing factor eradicates everything. Yeah, Wolverine gets real fucked up in this issue. Yeah, um, the, but I do think a lot of this arc this whole storyline is about repositioning apocalypse and i'm curious what the landing point of that is and i do feel like the marauders issue definitely had that sense of dread like an agatha christie story where you're like fuck some of these people are gonna die yeah i it really does feel like and this is something that was a big point of conversation when the x-men introduced resurrection it feels like these people are in danger. It feels like all of these characters are not actually going to make it out of this, or at least in the same way at the end of the day. And that's great that they went in, what has it been, a year, something like that, from everybody being like, the X-Men could just come back to life, whatever, to positioning them into a place where they are in actual danger and bad things may happen to them. Maybe for the first time in a really long time, uh, that's super smart. And the, the Marauders issue in particular plays with that, with Storm dancing with the literal personification of death and mentioning, yeah. hey, you've never actually died. You're one of the few X-Men that has not died and come back. Um, so let's talk about that. Isn't that interesting? Um, I thought there was such smart character work in the Marauders thing, the X-Men issue as well, both with Apocalypse and Annihilation. I love as usual, the insane world building, I do not know where he pulls it out from with Jonathan Hickman there. I do think there are touches of East of West going on with the Apocalypse Annihilation stuff, yeah. um, particularly in the relationship that's popping up there. But that's fine. That's a great book. So I'm OK to yeah. skim some of those ideas a little bit. And of course, the art, Mahmoud Azrar, Lanil Yu, Stefano Caselli. Awesome. I know I said this the last time, but this is one of, not just with Marvel, but one of the best crossovers I've read in years oh, at this up. point. That's just shut up. Years. That awful. Just awful. Years. First off, millennials. Are we even going to get 10 individual issues? Like, we got to see how they fought. If we don't get to see. Like ten issues of fighting after this, all this fucking lead up. Oh, I, if if we get no, oh, I'm just Do I'm I worried. Sh- We're getting close. We're past halfway. We still don't have any fighting yet. Would you be disappointed, Pete, if we only got this fighting from the swords perspective? <laughs> like it was just like metal banging into other metal, clang, 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 yeah. and you don't actually get to see it. It's just the interior monologue of the swords. Wow, this hurts. 
I got to say, in in the Marauders app, seeing Magic, like, sizing everybody up, that was pretty cool. She's a badass. Super and fun. I, you, you mentioned it before, but the menu at the top of the Marauders issue was super fun. Like, I no. love that. The detail no. there was great. Waste of a page. I, I'd eat that shit. Pogger Pog, very fun character. I'm just... Marin- I- yeah, I, marinated in urine. I'm here for it. Yeah, uh, all That's of gross. the Araco characters also, I think, are great and super fun. They're just, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's Jonathan Hickman in conversation with other people. I don't know if he's necessarily driving the rest of the X Men team to this, but it's just he comes in and he's like, "Here's these new additions to Marvel continuity. They totally make sense. You love them now. Like they are, yeah, just these." perfect things that absolutely work. And the greater part about all of these new additions for Rocco is only one or two of them are completely black and white, which I think is very cool and a way of Jonathan Hickman really stretching himself as a creator. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. What a blistering takedown. That's the harshest I've ever heard you speak. Alex. (laughs) Uh, These issues are great. And uh, that's it for the stack. If you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics at Comic Book Live on Twitter, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Also, leave us a comment on iTunes. Those help out quite a bit. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Until next time, we'll see you at the virtual comic book shop. And remember, the door is always open for any stray cat looking to wander in. <laughs> <laughs>